We've spent this whole show talking about your wife, Marvel Crisis Protocol. <laughs> oh, no. But you've got a girlfriend, and her name is Malifaux. So what I would like to know is what made you look at Malifaux, and what are you finding there now that you're there? That she, is a perfect analogy. She's real pretty, too, <laughs> because she's complicated and a little crazy. She intimidates me, but she's gorgeous. <laughs> Those models are like the best looking models I've ever seen. Yeah, like, they, they're great. That they really seriously are. Is, is what caught my eye. Yeah, the aesthetics like, are something else, aren't they? Boy, this is going to be a fun show. We've got the team from Turn Zero, the podcast, a podcast devoted to Marvel Crisis Protocol, specifically the competitive side of Marvel Crisis Protocol. Now, for me, Marvel Crisis Protocol is a great second game after Malifaux. I've loved it. I've never looked at it as a competitive game like I look at Malifaux, but uh, they came on the show. We had a great discussion, and they make a strong case that there is enough to Marvel Crisis Protocol that it's a good competitive game. So sit back and enjoy. We have a great discussion. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we have three of the hosts of the Turn Zero podcast. Now, listeners know that I have found a favorite second mini game in Marvel Crisis Protocol, but for me, it is really the perfect casual game. Now, Malifaux is my favorite game, and it's also the game that I like to spend the most time talking about competitively. It's the uh, only game I've ever played competitively, um, and I think it's the best one there is. Now, these three gentlemen, they focus on Marvel Crisis Protocol on their show, and specifically, they focus on MCP as a competitive game. So today, what we're going to do is explore the differences between casual and competitive games, and then I'm going to find out why they see MCP as a good competitive game. My first guest is Sugi. Now, he's been playing tabletop games casually and competitively for over 20 years. So Sugi, welcome to the third floor. Yeah, thank you so very much for having us on. Uh, I've been really excited to talk to you guys. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, it's the first MCP podcast that I make sure I listen to um, when when you guys put it out. You guys do real good work. But oh, thank you. I want to find out about the day that Sugi knew nothing about tabletop gaming and then what then the day it happened. So when did you first find tabletop gaming? Uh, I think I probably had two revelations. The first one was when I was introduced to uh, the Pokemon trading card game when I was very young and that that grabbed my fancy and all the kids on the block were playing it so of course we were trading and trying to get really good and I started going to tournaments and uh you know winning in my my age bracket because they had the the juniors the seniors and then the masters division um after that I started getting into you know Yu-Gi-Oh Magic and that was you know it's all trading cards yeah and then in college one of the guys on our floor was super into Warhammer with me 
And so we kicked it off. We were having a bunch of fun playing miniatures. And he's like, have you ever played like a board game? I'm like, yeah, I played Candyland. He goes, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Uh, and he, so he pulls out um, Cosmic Encounter. And from oh, that point, my life, was, my life was completely changed because it was like this brand new universe of uh, taking like trading cards and miniatures and formulating this. Uh, social interaction that wasn't so competitive it was more of a, a, a social group interaction yeah and it was like oh all right i had also been playing role-playing games at that point so it was kind of like culminating all three of those universes into one and it was uh life-changing because it was like oh well, this is fun and he goes well you want to play battlestar galactica i'm like what's that <laughs> like i've seen the show and so you know it's great game trader game yeah so like he he starts hitting me with all of these like classics everyone you know like like uh steam oh wow and uh, like it was just it was incredible so after that point like I just became completely inundated in the tabletop gaming lifestyle as opposed to like just a trading card game or a miniatures right. guy so now I play everything and all things for fun and competitive casual like I'll just play games with people because I think that's yep. the most uh the strongest glue in the community is hey you want to play a game sure okay let's do it. So let's talk quickly then about you finding uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol. What were you playing and how did you get sucked in? So before Marvel Crisis Protocol, I was uh, competitively playing and actually touring the country with uh, Kill Team. So I was going to like Adepticon. I missed LVO, but I did. I, I topped out Adepticon, played at Nova. Um, I've been playing competitive Warhammer for many years, so that's not new. Um, Squad-based games like you know X-Wing, Infinity um war machine like all these well yeah for me war machine is a much smaller game because it's not like full-blown army i'm probably going to get blasted by war machine people i mean even malifaux malifaux is more of a squad based game because you're not fielding like hundreds of models you're fielding like 20 or less so to me that's a squad based style of game well it's also got rules that are good compared to the other games you talked about wombo combo <laughs> all right all right i see uh, i see where i stand some of you people so you you're, you're going around touring playing kill team clearly a cylon i see you <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah back to kill team so i'm going to kill team uh playing it competitively having a lot of fun and then amg goes uh you know here's marvel crisis protocol i was actually more interested in marvel champions because that's a very approachable game for people yeah. who are looking for a uh, social interaction with cards yep. and they announced you know final fan or uh, not final fantasy ffg announced champions and i'm like oh yeah that's cool and then amg comes on the backside and goes now we have a tabletop game and i'm like okay that's cool but i'm i'm playing kill team i'm super busy with that so what brought me into crisis protocol was my destiny crew the guys i record with they were getting super into crisis protocol and I'm always interested in what they're interested in. So I started giving yeah. it a shot. It, it grabbed my interest. Um, it's Marvel. So it's a very easy to sell kind of IP because, you know, trying to explain what a Warhammer or a War Machine yep. or a Malifaux is, it's not like something people have been reading or have seen the movies for years. So when I put down a Hulk, people go, oh, I know what that is. Okay, well, then yeah. roll these dice and this is his superpower. And they go, oh, that's easy. It's super fun. Um, so crisis protocol is a very approachable level of game just because of the IP. And then tactically it's a very well layered game. So coming off of the kill team kick, uh, crisis protocol has a lot going for it. It's a lot of fun, but I think it's just really approachable for people of all ages. Cause I don't think kids super enjoy Warhammer, machine right. Malifaux. Cause they're, they don't understand like the, the narrative or the theming. That's not like 
child friendly in my opinion yep but uh spider-man versus captain america versus uh modok that's white kid friendly that's super fun yep yep no i completely agree so guys our next guest is chris now he's another longtime gamer um he used to focus mostly on competitive card games sounds like uh, just much like sugi um but he's brought that same competitive mentality to miniature gaming so chris welcome to the third floor Thank you. Great to be here. Listen to the show uh, several times from Malifaux. Really excited. Well, thanks, man. Um, so, Chris, same question we gave Sugi. Uh, you knew nothing about tabletop gaming, and then all of a sudden, bam, you started uh, playing it. How did you first discover it? And let's end the story with MCP. Um, I, You know, like you said, I was in a competitive card gaming going way back, playing weird, non-big uh, three games like Wild Storms and Dragon Ball Z. Oh, and- wow l5r was the most recent one um and that was at a shop pre uh tag here todd shop um when i got over here i got really into star wars destiny with these guys um and always been broadly aware of tabletop games i have a a couple friends who are real big into 40k um but i'd never played any myself i almost got into bolt action at the shop i was playing l5r at and then didn't go that route um and i had been aware of uh, crisis protocol going into nova of 2019 where one of our uh, players at the shop was doing the demos of crisis protocol um and i knew nothing more than oh it's marble based and i get to throw terrain that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> so uh got to watch the demo and was just sold right away dude that's the and same it's... thing that happened to me at nova <laughs> same thing I, I played that stupid on that subway board at nova Oh yeah! I walked away. I'm like, son of a bitch! I'm going to get into this game now. Were all of us at Nova and didn't know it? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I I go. I I was always at the Malifaux every year at Nova. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was just there playing Destiny, and you know, we we knew about the Marvel demos, that and Champions, and I was down there when I wasn't playing Destiny, and it just hooked me. Managed to talk a couple of us into getting it. It was just me, Todd, and Mike, our one of our early co-hosts for the uh, podcast. And just started from there and been going hard ever since. So I'd be curious, Chris, I've heard really good things about Destiny. So I've got, there's a lot of people whose opinion I respect who, who've said that Destiny was a real good game. Um, obviously, you enjoyed it, um, but I heard it's dead now. Is that true? Uh, for the officially dead, uh, FFG has put the, the brakes on the game. They're no longer going to be distributing it. There are a couple uh, continuing committees going on right now, one of which is run by our good friend from... Uh, entourage gaming uh steven lanza and the entourage gaming crew so they're they've put out their first unofficial set so they're really working hard on trying to keep the game and the community alive because the community was really important for that game so yeah um but yes officially dead unofficially there are a couple groups still trying to keep that thing going mostly through tts that's cool oh so they're playing it online that's oh that allows them to create cards and stuff too then exactly yep they've they've gone through a whole set and um put out all the cards and artwork and everything so that's cool going strong with that all right so my last guest is todd now he's been playing games almost as long as i have um and you've played just about everything in that time and uh most importantly todd you actually own a game shop so todd welcome to the third floor what's up craig thanks for having me man it's my pleasure so let's let's start with you obviously you're the maybe the biggest fan of all of us here um but you at one point knew nothing about tabletop gaming what happened um, well, wow. We, we're going to go back in the Wayback Machine back to like 1993, brother. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, was there. <laughs> yeah, I was playing. Uh, I was playing some competitive magic back in the day. Um, P3 
PTQs, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I jumped into uh, the Star Wars Decipher game. Gee, I'd never uh, heard of it. What is that? Um, so it was a card game, uh, another card game that had a, a very different engine in the card design. Um, but I played that competitively on a world championship level for a number of years. Um, and from there, I got into Warhammer Fantasy. Okay, yeah. Um, and I started with Chaos Dwarfs. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, it went really well. It took me like a year to get my army together because you couldn't find the pieces anywhere. Wow. And then they just nixed the army next edition. Yeah. Um, and that was the last time I played tabletop games. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I got I got so burned by that. I don't blame so you. So much effort. I, I just kind of walked away from it. Yeah. Um I also I also had a kid at that time as well. Um so I had my, my first son was born, so I kind of stepped away from gaming. Um and then gosh, probably in 2016 started messing around a little bit more. So what I'd be curious, Ty, uh, what brought you back, right? So you 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 take a break and what sucked you back in? I'm a big community guy. Um, I'm, I'm pretty brash and I'm pretty loud and <laughs> I'm probably the most argumentative one of us all, but I'm a super big community guy. And I ran into a couple of my friends actually that got me into podcasting, uh, Rick Dunkley, uh, at a, at a game shop, um, playing some star Wars destiny. Nice. And, um, so I was like, well, there's, there's some of the people that I used to play with. I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. And um we started playing our local shops weren't supporting it enough so i said you know what i hell with it i'll open my own store <laughs> that's so awesome <laughs> so I, I just opened my own shop and uh we've been playing ever since that's um, cool man but like you guys uh up at nova for a destiny um national championship and one of the guys that plays here at the shop um was actually running the event for um for AMG and for champions. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got to test out uh, MCP and we were, we were all in. Yeah. So it, um, it demos well. It yes. really, really does. Um, and it's, it is a lot easier to demo than a lot of the other miniature games out there. Um, because I mean, and I've said it a million times in the show, the game just feels like superheroes. And yeah. even mm -hmm. if you don't, even if you don't get all the rules the first time, it, it feels like Captain America's thrown his shield. Um, yeah. And, and that's what hooked me. Um, then, and we're going to talk about this a lot more, then you start peeling the onion, right? And you realize right. that, that you know, Will and all, and Will, both Wills and those guys know what the hell they're doing. Um, and they have created what I consider to be one of the more elegant rule sets I've come across. Um, it's very modern, um, very, very well done. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about during this round table. What I want to do is I want to first kind of talk to these guys with all of this gaming experience that we have on the, on the, uh, on this episode, let's talk about these terms, casual versus competitive. It's thrown around all the time. And I want to kind of dig into what we think it is. Uh, we'll have an episode out later, um, where I'm going to have another round table devoted to this subject, but we're going to start here. And then what I want to do is I want to expand out and let these guys make the case that um, MCP is not just a you know beer and pretzel game like I'm playing it, that, that there really is a true competitive um, angle to it. So we'll be right back. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. 
Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzook sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So you hear the term all the time, right? And the term is often, you know, put in the context of conflict. Um, so, you know, people talk about min-maxing. People talk about, um, you know, you're ruining the game. And then usually it's the competitive players telling the casual players they're ruining it. The casual players telling the competitive. And, and, and the more I've thought about it lately, the more we use these terms, and I don't know if we've really talked about what they mean, um, which I think is the first part of, you know, deciding whether, um, you know, a game is competitive, casual, or both, or better in one or the other. So, Todd, you're um, you're an old guy like me. So let's start with you. Um, and I think the easiest way, I've been trying to think uh, in the days before we were recording, like how I wanted to kind of go go and, and talk about this. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, can you name a couple games? Obviously, MCP is one of them that you consider competitive games. So what are games you consider competitive? Um, well, I'm going to go to your bread and butter first and foremost. And, and Malifaux is by far probably one of the most competitive games that I've played. Um, and I love it for that. Like, I, right. e- even on a casual game, the level of play that you have to have in that is so much higher than any, any other game that you step across. Like when, when you set down to play Malifaux, you know you're going to be there for a couple hours. And, and you know that you have to have all of this stuff planned out. You need to know what your characters can do. You need to know what their abilities are. Um, everything has different keywords. There's so many layers with that game. Um, that That is, for me right now, out of everything that I've played, that's the pinnacle of what I would consider a competitive game. I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing, Todd, is that for you, part of being a competitive game is is the multiple layers. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and being able to find which level you want to be at and where you want to pick your spots, right? Um, so is it going to be in team design? Or is it going to be in, like with MCP, with tactics design? Are you trying to play off of your objectives? All of those things go into the competitive nature of MCP, um, which is more streamlined than it is in Malifaux. I agree. Um, so in, in Malifaux, like, you have to have a broad set of skills across your entire faction and with Malifaux you design into a 10 character roster and it almost needs to be focused like yep. laser focused for competitive play in Malifaux yeah or I'm sorry yep. for, MCP. for MCP yeah MCP is where you have the, the 10 model uh restriction so Todd you mentioned uh Star Wars Decipher which I'd never heard of before did you consider that casual or do you consider that competitive I considered that the pinnacle of a competitive card game that I've ever played and wow. that, that includes magic and everything else. The game design and the mechanics built into that game were far and beyond anything that magic had. Um, Ma- magic has a very basic system with lands and yep. cards and spells, right? Um, and, and the one thing that I've heard more people talk about than not with magic was getting mana screwed or, or, not, <laughs> yeah. or not being able to draw what you needed at the right time. Yep. And, and the way the Decipher engine was built was your deck cycled. Um, so it would go through phases. Um, so where you would have cards that were activated that you used to play cards, they would cycle back under your deck. 
cards would go back to that pile and you could track them through your deck. So, Interesting. So after turns two or three and you know where cards are in your deck, now it becomes a mechanic like Sugi was talking about with like spades and stuff like that, where right. now you're tracking the deck. Now you know what's going on. Now you know what to expect turn four, turn five. And, and now you can play your board state based on what you know is coming. And, and that engine was ingenious. Um, how, how deep was the deck, Todd? How many cars are you tracking? 60. Jeez, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. And, and not only that, but your deck was your life total. So if you ran okay. out, so when you ran out of cards, you lost the game. Um, so but, wait, I thought you said you were cycling it or are cards getting removed? Yes. So like the, the idea was when you took damage, you lost cards from your deck. Interesting. So you would actually track cards through your deck, but have to keep track of what you lost and what you had in your huh. hand and what you drew to know where things were coming through. Um, like the deck and the game design was deep very deep. interesting and not only that when you went to play competitively you had to have a light side and a dark side deck so you oh, had cool yeah so you had to be familiar with two decks going into a competitive tournament playing eight rounds um it was the closest thing i've seen to malifaux in a card game let's put it that way i was about to say what the hell happened to it it sounds like a great game <laughs> they lost the licensing no kidding yeah and 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 just the design i mean so sometimes what you'll see uh, when that happens, you'll get a, a new version reskinned. You see that in board games all the time where they, you know, they'll reskin it because of licensing, but that never happened, huh? It did. Um, so, oh, okay. So they relicensed it as a game called Wars, just Wars. Um, and they just did away with the entire Star Wars licensing. Um, but the game never caught on because it didn't, it, it didn't, it, it captured the same basic idea, but it also didn't have the feel right it was it was the flair it was the flair of star wars that really made it feel what it was um that's what's interesting to me todd and you've played enough games or been exposed to enough at the shop i'm sure have you seen where have you seen elements of that game appear elsewhere do you see where somebody said that was really good and i'm going to use it here um where can people find aspects of that game now do you the closest thing right now um is flesh and blood I've never heard of that either. What is that? It's a new game uh, out of New Zealand. It's just really hitting its second wave of um, they're just actually going on right now is the unlimited release of it. Um, it's amazing. It's a really good game. It doesn't have quite the same engine, but it definitely has the deck cycling aspect of it um, uh-huh. where you move cards through phases um, and, and be prepared. Like that's that's where I'm at right now. That's the card game of choice for me. Um, interesting you heard it here first (laughs) yeah it's it's the closest thing i've seen to it in 20 years flesh and blood yeah all right i'm gonna have to check that out you sold it someone owes you a commission that's good right on chris how does that how how does that well actually before we leave uh todd todd can you name a couple games you consider casual games or games you play casually um not so much as far as tabletop um but like some other games that i have played um casually would be like keyforge Keyforge okay. to me feels like a much more casual game. And why um, is that? Because a lot of people play it competitively. I, when you play Keyforge competitively, I feel like it's who has the best toys they bring to the game. Um, it, it's not so much about your, while there is player skill, right? Um, if you have a deck that's got the key components that you opened, you're, you're above the curve already. 
Got it. Um, and, and that to me takes away from competitive. Okay. So especially in like in a constructed event. So like in a, in a sealed event, there is definitely going to be, I think, I think that's where Keyforge really signs. Um, but there's so few of those anymore right now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's the hard part with that. So that one feels like a much more casual game to me. So that's interesting. So Chris, uh, you know, I think one of the things that Todd, one of the things that Todd talked about, um, or at least hinted at was, um, kind of, uh, player skill and how much of a factor player skill is. Do you consider that, um, part of the way you define casual versus competitive? Uh, that is a big part of it for me, uh, because player skill is so broad, right? It, it involves game knowledge. It involves knowledge of strategy that may not even be specific to that game. Just a, you know, a broad strategic base. You almost feel like you want to read the art of war before you go into a game because you need to know, yeah. you know, these specific tactics. Um, so I do think player skill is a, a big part of it. Um, and there's even another thing that I would mention is, um, accessibility is really huge for me. Um, and accessibility comes in a couple different forms, right? There's the, the lore aspect. Part of the reason why Marvel feels accessible is because I grew up on that stuff. I don't have to right. learn 40 K lore, which I've gone and read and it's like reading an encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> so it's yeah. very deep. Um, but also the things that you can do in the game have to feel accessible too. Like with Marvel, you have a max of 10 characters that you bring. All those characters are very unique. They do specific things. They're right there. You can see them versus an army or, you know, even a Malifaux setup is, can be quite broad depending on the faction yep. you're playing. So those two things are both what I think really separate casual and competitive games. So give me an idea, Chris, of let's talk examples on the two spectrums, right? So let's talk about the games you play competitively or consider competitive and some examples of some casual games. Uh, for me, the most competitive game I played was L5R. Um, that one, it, it had a lot of different strategic elements to it. Each of the different clans played very specific ways, um, and there wasn't a huge element of randomness to it. Um, casual, Even at the card game? Yes. Uh, wow. And even even more so than I would say Destiny, because Destiny had the dice involved, which right. added an element of randomness that sometimes made it feel like it couldn't wasn't on the same level in terms of competitiveness. Um, for casual games, boy, I want to say Keyforge too, but that would just be stealing from Todd. So. <laughs> no, that's okay. But, but if it fits, it fits, right? Um, and, and what mm. I think is interesting, Chris, is that you're adding another element, which we haven't talked about yet, was random numbers, right? The, True. The, 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 the degree of randomness. Mm -hmm. That sounds like that helps you define competitive versus... Oh, yeah, um, that's, an, that's another good point. You know, when you start adding dice to games, it, it tends to lead it more in a casual direction, which is something that we struggle with in MCP that we'll probably talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, Keyforge is the same way because you're getting random decks. The, the thing that separates competitive and casual in that game is, are you bringing decks you already know you have that have specific things in them that are good? Are you playing a sealed event where everybody's kind of on the same level? Um, so that tends to define a casual game for me. That's why I think that's a good example because you're getting a random deck every time you play it, unless right. you're playing in the constructed event, or I'm sorry, a, a standard event. Right, right. So, Sugi, you, I think the list of games you play competitively that you haven't played competitively is shorter than the list that you have played competitively. Yeah. So, I'm real anxious to hear your thoughts here. Um, 
let's start off with maybe talking about games you consider true competitive games and then games that you just like to play casual. I mean, I've been like chess is like the fundamental root of my competitive nature. It's like the yep. first game I started playing out at a competitive level. And that game is, you know, zero hidden information, but yep. you have to take an insane amount of skill and the ability to read the room, um, create strategy and then adapt strategy on the fly in real time. Because if you're running a chess clock, you don't have like 20 minutes to think you got seconds and you're like, Yep. Um, yep. And you can't play chess casually. You really can't. I, it, I, it's not a good. It's not a good casual game. I mean, you can play it for funsies, but yeah, even yeah, even but for fun, it's, you miss the whole game. Right. No, right. I agree. It's funny you say that. So yeah, I don't think I've ever really thought about it. But yeah, chess is a great example. Go is another one I'll throw out there too. Oh yeah, um, that's my favorite. Just so good. Oh, it's an amazing game. An amazing. game. I feel like so spades. I don't think that's a very casual game. I know people play it casually, but in order to be good. With a teammate, yeah, you got to have some skill. You got to be able to count cards. And you really have to know what's going on. Like if, if you're just two noobs, like if it's like four new players, that's probably the safest casual environment. But yep. once you start playing a little bit longer, like you get kind of into it. And you're like, here we go. My my version of that is I used to play uh, gin for money. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, we you know play you know ten bucks a point and you know do the whole thing. Um, the one card game that I still have not learned, um, and I need to because I hear it's the pinnacle. Because uh, I'm a huge gin fan, huge poker fan, but I've never played bridge. And every everything I understand is that bridge is just the ultimate. But it's such an old lady you game. Yeah, I, I, I have uh, I played every card game except that one because I'm too young. Air quotes. Yeah. So there's an age threshold. And then like once you hit that age threshold, like old people are like, welcome to the bridge club. So <laughs> I don't know when it is. Apparently none of us yeah. do because no one's hit that threshold. But like my grandparents played it. I'm like, teach me. They're like, no. I was like, <laughs> you are not. Old yeah, I'm not old yet. enough, but I'm beating you at everything else. So I, I guess they didn't want to uh, at that. But um, so how about casually when you when you just want to just not, you know, just have some fun, <laughs> um, hang out. Uh, you're going to hate these answers, but it's like League of Legends, uh, Warcraft 3, uh, Starcraft. That's okay. Like, I'm always trying to become more prolific in any skill I can get my hands on. So I like playing competitive games casually. Um, it's not that I can't play a game casually. Like, I love teaching people how to play like Settlers of Catan or Carcassonne or Ticket to Ride. Um, yeah, because that's that goes back to that social interaction. Right. But um, it's not interesting for me to play a game that that doesn't give me an opportunity to learn or grow or practice a skill. So like, yeah, I play league competitively at a casual perspective, but I'm still pretty decent at, you know, a MOBA or an RTS or a shooter, whatever game. Um, not like literally not trying to brag. It's just, I'm always looking to grow as a human and as a game person, because so much of my life is revolving around the game infrastructure. Like I help people do playtesting. I've helped design and develop board games. Like that's a field I actually work in, uh, for professional reasons. So right. always being kind of in tune with that for me, casually or competitively, just kind of keeps me happy, keeps me going. Well, and it sounds like it's part of what attracts you to gaming, period, mm -hmm. right? Is yeah. that competitive part. And, and there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that by any stretch of the imagination. And in the same breath, there's people that don't enjoy competitive play, oh, yeah. that they just want they just want to throw dice, flip cards, and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But it's different. It's a different type of gaming. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it's kind of why, you know, we, we separate them. 
uh, when when we talk about them. Um, so that 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 makes a lot of sense. So let's let's go through the factors then, Sugi, that we've already covered here. So um, is there you know Todd and Chris they talked about uh, the layers and how deep the game is. They talk about um, what degree of uh, randomness is involved um, in there. Um, is there any other factors that you think really make a game competitive versus casual? It's an excellent question, and the answer to that is completely different for every single person who contemplates that reality. For me personally, what really defines a competitive atmosphere is the opportunity for players who have a level playing field to showcase their competency in strategy and tactics. If it's not a level playing field, it's a lot less interesting because usually it's a stomp. Right. One person is going to clearly be superior to the other. And there's a lot of, like, chess is a great example. If you just know the game and your opponent, this is their second game, you're going to destroy them. But mm -hmm. what's interesting to watch is when you have two masters playing the same game, and that's any game. That's card games, video games, tabletop. It's so amazing to watch two people at skill levels go at it because you see positioning matters. You see strategy, tactical analysis, uh, resource management, threat management, the, the the decision point in which you decide to pivot for objectives or for kills. Like You see so many different aspects of the game transition in ways that you don't really see when someone is better than the other by a noticeable margin. So yeah. that's what makes competitive games competitive for me, is a fair and equal playing ground where people can sit down and start going at it so that's interesting um so todd in your mind i mean what what sugi is really talking about is, is design balance right and and how how that can be critical so that unlike keyforge where you can have a situation where you have you know somebody has the best toys um you know everything's a level playing field is that a big factor as far as a, the level of enjoyment you have in competitive gaming todd it is but for me the the other part of that is the reason MCP fits my mindset so much better is the fact that we have consistent releases that come out on a month-to-month -month basis, and that changes the playing field quite frequently. So coming from a card game background, um, we all know that like when the events came down, it was whoever had the most familiarity with the newest stuff coming out and was able to pick those pieces apart and make those things into something functioning. Um, right. was the person that would come out ahead. Uh, and that's where I get the enjoyment from. Every time we get these new releases month to month and we start throwing around ideas and we throw it in a think tank and we're like, all right, what's the, what's the new, what's the new hotness? Where do we go? Um, yep. That's the part of MCP that's really interesting. So like if they can keep up with these releases and we can get out of this, national funk that we're in with everything that's going on and yeah. we can get back to some events like i i think mcp actually has a really good competitive scene um once we get back to that kind of thing yeah and the, the good news is, is i get the i get the impression that that um uh, that they have the backing to survive this i mean that's something i've talked about on the show is concern over who's going to come out on the other side of this um and i definitely get the impression i mean they haven't let up let up on the gas um so it, it looks like the, it looks like it's either selling um or they've got deep enough pockets 
that they can they can ride this out, which is um, which is very encouraging. So, guys, I think that gives us a good idea as far as defining things, right? Which is really what I wanted to start with. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, MCP, and I want to really break down what you guys consider aspects of the game that make it competitive. So, we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. All right, so now that we've kind of um, laid the groundwork and we've talked about um, at least what we think um, competitive versus uh, casual is, and I'll be honest with you guys, I, I purposely you know, kind of kept my mouth shut a little bit as far as my thoughts. I didn't disagree with anything that was said. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, and I like the fact that we all of us have a little bit of a different view on it, which is, I think, part of the reason that a lot of uh, flame wars can happen when when the two groups discuss it with each other, because uh, I don't think there's a, a definitive uh, definition. Um, now, in my mind, uh, with miniature games, there's kind of two fa- two main phases, right, um, where um, I think this definition can happen, and that's kind of pregame and in-game. So first, I want to talk about pregame. And what I mean by pregame is literally before a die is rolled or a card is flipped. What What is it? that happens in let's uh, focus right now so what happens in mcp that that fits everything that we've talked about so Sugi, let's start with you where do you think before a model hits the table and a die is rolled where does mcp shine as a competitive game yeah so ironically unless you are just a really good setup which is probably you are uh, that's the whole premise behind our show is turn zero and a lot of people who've never played a competitive game turn zero is literally the decision making process you go through before you ever sit down and play anything now if you're talking about yahtzee that does not apply but Mm -hmm. if you're talking about a tabletop game you cannot show up at a tabletop tournament and at the start decide okay now i'm now now right now i'm gonna pick my models and my cards and x y and z you have to do all of that decision-making at your house or with your friends or whatever. So what's interesting about Crisis Protocol is the game revolves around blue and red objectives in which you and your opponent bring three of each. So three red, three blue for six cards on your side, six cards on their side. You roll priority. Whoever wins gets to pick a color, and the person who did not win priority gets the other color. So there is a pretty wide variety of potential Crisis cards you could see between yourself and your opponent. So you have to take into account what you might see. You have to take into account what your play style is, what your strengths are with that given play style, what your weaknesses are with that given play style. 
you have to take into account what is meta or what is popular at the time. So, for example, X-Men are about to come out this week uh, on this Friday, November 16th. Depending on whatever time you listen or whatever time this podcast comes out, obviously X-Men and Brotherhood are very popular. People are excited and it will get played. So if you're going to a tournament, you have to take into account you're probably going to see a higher volume of those characters than, say, Avengers, because they're not the new big thing. So there's also there's tactic cards that you have to take into account. You get to take eight with you, but you only get to pick five in the game. So take all of these variables, throw them into a blender, and you have to take into account yours, your opponents, and then if you're playing a tournament however many rounds there are. So if you're playing four rounds, that's, you know, X amount of variables, so on and so forth. So what's interesting about Marvel Crisis Protocol in a competitive aspect is before you ever play a game, you have to contemplate a lot of potential outcomes. You don't have to. If you're not going in trying to win it all, just want to play with your mates, have some fun, not super important. But if you are going into like an Adepticon or a Nova or an LVO, you're going to play a two-day event. You want to win it all. You have to know what you're taking, what they're going to take, and how to play around it. And there's mm-hmm. so much to parse through that, for me, that meat is what's interesting because it's not simple. It's not clear-cut. And you're always going to run into some kind of hijink you didn't expect. And at that point, you have to realize what, like, it's a puzzle being presented to you. And you have to figure out, how do I solve this? And how do I stop my opponent from solving it faster than I can? Yeah. So I want to take a step back. And Chris, I'll start with you. Let's. I want to focus more on the objectives because it was one of the things that I didn't get when I got the demo that I really started to understand once I finally got the game and started playing it. Because I think I think it's very, very interesting. So as Sugi mentioned, you bring three reds, you bring three blues, right? Secure and extraction. Uh, so it's different styles, right? And um, you're you're going to be able to pick from your one of your three and your opponent's going to be able to pick from one of their three. And you don't really know which is going to be which. It's going to depend on a die roll and one person's going to be able to choose and the other one didn't. Um, but that's not the only factor um, involved there. It also um, impacts the game size as well, right? Yeah, so each side has its own type like you were saying it has the extracts and the objectives so there's different things involving there but it each objective has a point total on it they range from currently 15 up through 20 uh, at every point value between there we're also with the x-men release going to start getting 14 points so the reason why that's important is because you only get to bring 10 characters to the game ever You could play with any number of them up to the point value. Each character has its own threat level, which you use to build a roster. So when you're putting together your 10, you have to think, can I take this 10 character roster and make it fit within any of those point totals? You can obviously plan for what you've brought, but you can't always plan for what your opponent has brought. So you either have to accept that, oh, I'm going to sacrifice at this point because I can't make this work and I want to play these characters where you have to make your roster as flexible as possible to fit any of them. There are some objectives that your roster is going to excel at because, you know, basically you have the Trinity, right? You have your control, you have your aggression, you have your support type lists. Um, So your roster may excel at some that involve going and collecting objectives and holding them and securing them and running away and playing very controlly like that. You could 
play on an objective like that and say, well, I'm not good at holding and securing those, so I need to go kill my opponent and completely die them <laughs> because that's the yep. only hope I have of taking this game. So the objectives are probably the most important thing, at least to me, for planning your initial roster. You know, you the themes are obviously important for you if you want to play more casually or, you know, however you want to do that. If you really want to play X-Men, you can stick with that. But um, most competitive players I've come across are really looking at the, the spectrum of objectives and saying, how can I get these 10 characters to be able to be effective on this whole, you know, giant list of objectives we have now because i think we have something like 20 yeah yeah it's very very interesting and for those that are listening to understand so this a lot of what chris and sugi have talked about so far is it has to do with the organized play aspect of this game so to clarify all of these restrictions that we're talking about don't exist in in the regular game right this is when we add the with the op the organized play aspect to it and it's very interesting so to recap what these guys said you have six cards Three blue, three reds, right? So three extractions, three um, secures. You then pick 10 models, and you're going to use those same 10 models for all the rounds at the event. Now, you're going to piece them together different ways, um, but they're going to be some, every 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 team that hits the table is going to be, you know, a piece of those 10 models. Then on top of that, you have one-time use cards, these tactics cards that you bring with you and that you get to play during the game. And it's a one-time use, a one-time event that occurs that allows you to impact what's happening on the game. It's usually a boost of some sort. And piecing that all together um, is really where I think Chris and Sugi are talking about it all coming together. So Todd, one question for you. Um, I feel this a little bit, so I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, um, uh, but I've got a good friend of mine, Paul, who really doesn't love this game because of this. And it has to do with how samesy the secures and the extractions feel. So in his mind, and I don't think it's as drastic as the way he puts it, he feels like all the red cards are not that different, right? All of the extractions are, are about the same and all the secure objectives are about the same thing. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that really there, you know, we've got what, 20 of these things now. Are they really distinct? Uh, I would say they are. Um, and as a matter of fact, I just got done playing in a TTS league where we had secures that were actually paced differently, um, for four, four separate weeks, um, where one week we played what they called a fast, uh, fast scenarios. So they were high point scoring, um, really fast objectives. So you had to build, optimize your team to accommodate that the following week we played on what they called a narrow objective base where you had to focus your team to work into that general scenario. Um, so I, I think on the base level, just looking at them, you can be like, yep, you just go stand by this one, and this one you just go pick up. Sure, on the base level. Um, but when you really start to look at them and you start looking at like the different token types and the tactics cards that interact with those, um, you look at the different, uh, the ones that give power and the ones that don't, who benefits the most from that? Like, when you start to factor those into your roster building, you start to see this game kind of open up. I um, mean, you start to see it blossom and see some of the things that you can actually do with these teams and these roster affiliations, um, which makes it very different from Malifo. Um, yeah. Because Malifo, you get, you get your base objective, your base scenario that's going on for the platform. And then you have your side schemes. And those are, yep. and then you get to base your team off of that across an entire faction. 
Um, very different than what you get to do with this. Um, so you need to be able, as as Chris was saying, you you build your roster towards your objectives. Uh, and then you build in the flexibility to accommodate for whatever the things people might bring into you. Um, and, and that's that's where the gamemanship comes in. And that's where the player yeah. skill comes in. Um, but to answer the question shortly, no, I, I don't feel that at all. Um, well, and, and to clarify for those listening, when when Todd's talking about fast, um, so there's two two potential things that will end the game. Um, the two, two ways to win the game. One is at the end of six turns, who has the most points? Or if at the end of the turn, somebody hits 16 points, that ends the game as well. And whoever has the most points at that point wins. So with some of these um, objectives that, we, that we're talking about, they rack up points. It's easier to score points. And so you, you know that the game's likely going to end by somebody hitting 16, um, whereas other objectives are slower. So it's, they don't rack up the points in the same way. And you're more likely to get six turns in. And it's very interesting the more you play this game, being able to throttle back and forth on that. To Todd's point, you might build to handle one type and then you have to you know, adjust because your opponent's pushing another type to you. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Todd, is there any other aspects pregame do you think uh, that we've kind of skimmed over and need to go into further? I think the tactics cards play so much more into this game um, than you think they do on the surface level. Um, yeah. By the time the X-Men come out, we're going to have a hundred different tactics cards uh, and you only get to bring eight. Um, and on top of that, AMG has recently instituted a banned and restricted list, which is also limited and kind of handicapped some people's basic idea of a strategy where they just brought all the heal cards. Right. Um, yep. So, so now the game is opened up and, and, and now you have to actually plan for those eight cards and, and build that into a strategy more than you were before. Um, and I love it. Like that's, that's, that's what I want to see. Um, like I, I don't, it, it's really boring for me when I sit across from somebody and I'm like, Oh, look, you've got X, Y, and Z. Um, and you're taking all the heel cards. Great. Yeah. All right. So we know what we're playing this game. Um, the idea that now your tactics cards are so much more of the strategy base of what you're actually going to be doing in the game really opens it up. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that Todd, because the first dozen games I played of MCP, I always found myself forgetting to play the cards. And then that's when I peeled back a layer. That's when yep. I became a, you know, a little bit better at the game. When I realized that when I realized two things, one, um, whoever plays all five of their cards has a better chance of winning the game. Yep than the other person and two whoever spends their power and just real briefly for people listening uh characters gain power through abilities and by getting hit and then it's you use that power to use their big explosive uh uh things right so uh, most characters have like one power that's really good but you have to gain power to get it and i once i kind of realized that whoever spends the most power which means they did the biggest things and whoever plays all five of their cards has a better chance of winning um, it, it, it made me understand the layer that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and to that point as well, like sometimes it's not always the big flashy attack that matters. So yep. sometimes it's just having the ability to turn on one of their superpowers that can impact each round. Right. Um, and, and that's where roster building into a certain idea of, all right, I'm going to build my team around power generating objectives. 
um, because I need to make sure these abilities are online. Um, and, and that's like, if you can start to see those kind of things in your head and start to make them happen on the table, it's an entirely different game. Yeah. And now we have enough models in the game a year into it that, um, there's all different play styles are possible. Absolutely. You can, you can build so many combinations of these 10 that we're talking about that if, if you like to be the beat down, if you like to be the control, you like to, you know, if whatever type of style of play you want, you can, you can find it, which I think is, is very exciting. So guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break. I want to talk about playing the game. So now we talked about really, I think they make a good case that, the, that, that there's enough decisions that matter that, that the pregame, the turn zero, to use the term that they have, matters and makes it competitive. Now we're going to talk about when you're playing. And this might be the tough one because there's dice. We'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My name is Alec, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars, because even though I'm new to Malfo in the year of social distancing, this podcast has taught me so much, I feel like I almost know what I'm doing. Come join me and the others at Patreon.com and support Third Floor Wars for just $1 a month. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, need to give a quick shout out to our newest patrons, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, David Anthony, Alexander, Michael, Bob Fletcher, Old Doc Fulton, and Joseph Pye. Because if you and the 100 plus other patrons, I'm able to put out consistent content that hopefully you find worth paying for. So I, I joke on the show all the time that uh, I can never go back to dice. So let's go back a year, right? Before I started playing MCP, I was the guy who was going, man, once you start playing with cards, you can't go back to dice. Um, and then, you know, I played MCP and I'm like, geez, I might go back to dice because I kind of like this. Um, but I want to start with dice, Chris. And the reason I want to start with dice is um, random, the ra- RNG, as they call it, the random number generator, the dice in here. Not only are they dice, but they're exploding dice. So there's symbols on the dice that cause you to roll more dice, which just increases the amount of randomness uh, that's involved. 
So Chris, do you, I mean, it's part of what I think is fun about the game from a, as a casual thing. How much does this factor into you as a competitive player? And do you think it takes away from the competitive nature? There's even another factor too, which is that a lot of characters have abilities that trigger off of particular yeah. size of the dice. So we have wilds too that in, introduce other effects such as throws and pushes and control elements. Yep. Um, as well as additional damage. So the dice are a huge factor in this game. Um, and there's there's really no getting around it. Like you could your game could be made or broken by the dice, and it's your job as a player to try to mitigate that as much as possible. Um, so we've seen games, uh, there was, a, we had a finals game this last weekend between Morgan Reed and Scorsia. They played, um, on a 15 point objective. So small teams, um, Morgan Reed was playing a black order, um, high point characters, very high threat values. He played them in a way that allowed him to do a lot of control so that he could keep enemy characters away from him and limit the amount that those dice affected him while still rolling high damage on his own characters. Right. Um, and we see him use that in a very effective way to make it all the way till the very end of the game, where he's got his Thanos, which is one of the most expensive characters in the game, standing next to an Akoye, which is one of the smallest point characters in the game. She has eight power and is able to kill him and win the game off of that. Wow. So you spend a five-hour game working all of these angles, measuring everything four, five, six times, 90-minute turns on a single character just to end up at the end of the game getting diced out. Yeah. Which is definitely, it feels bad. It can be fun, but there's a, there's a struggle in this game between those two things. You can work super hard just to have the dice come back at you. You could start off hot and cool down. So it, it's finding a balance in this game that's, that's one of the big player skill challenges of it. Well, and, and so that's what I want to talk about a little bit more, Chris. So what do you think mitigates that? So you talked about mitigating the dice. Um, the dice have um, huge potential swings by design. Um, but as a player, what could I do to, to, to mitigate that? So what I started doing was I decided to stop fighting. <laughs> and I started playing lists that were involved around throws. Interesting. Uh, throw mechanics in this game. Um, introduce guaranteed damage. So a character that gets thrown, if they collide with another character or a piece of terrain, will always take one damage. And then if they are thrown into another character, that character rolls their physical defense trying to block incoming damage, which equals the size of the character they're being hit by, plus one. Yep. So, so it's guaranteed damage. You're not rolling for damage. You're guaranteed damage. Correct. So you, yep. that's the only time in the game that you're guaranteed damage. So I started playing rosters that were built around that and controlling objectives rather than fighting. Mm -hmm. Other players have introduced a strategy like the two players in the finals where we bring in a low point objective that doesn't score very many points per round. So even if you can control somebody, you're, neither player is gaining very many points to that. try to hit that magic number of 16. So now we're forced to fight. So I'm going to bring right. characters that let me skew things on the dice to end up with more average damage. Yep. Yep. Um, how about you, Todd? I mean, is uh, you on the show, you joke about uh, your luck with dice. Um, <laughs> does, uh, does, does that impact your ability to play competitively or even enjoy the game? Um, so my level of enjoyment is like just based on 
um, getting to play, honestly. Like, I, I, I roll god-awful. There is no doubt. Um, <laughs> like, I, I've rolled awful through every game I've ever played. Like, it's just, it's my nature, and I'm fine with it. I have to just learn to accept it. It's what you're good at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but to that, like, it's also made me challenge myself in fine ways to mitigate those situations to not have them dictate my win-loss record um so like like chris was talking about that that situation with thanos and okoye there were opportunities in there to make that not a a situation for him um and and those options were not taken so he put himself in a situation where he allowed the game to be decided by a dice roll um, those are the things you have to look at. Um, not, not so much the dice themselves, but putting yourself in situations that allow you to lose based on dice. I preach that all the time on the show, Todd, where people talk about, you know, yeah, I would have had the game if I didn't flip the black Joker. And my answer always is, is why did you put yourself in a situation right. where the black Joker is going to exactly. lose the game? You know, exactly. so no, I, great. It's a great point. So like, and that, and that's, that's part of it, right? So then it comes down to positioning and using cover line of sight any tool that you have in your bag of tricks, you need to be able to pull out at a moment's notice to make sure you are in the best situation possible. Um, and because I roll like shit, I've had to learn that. <laughs> That's funny. Now, Siggy, you've got a, a huge array um, of competitive games you play. Like Kill Team is a random game, right? I mean, there's a lot of randomness in that game. Um I could do a whole podcast explaining to you why it's a bad game, but you play this. Welcome to Bus Mechanic School. I'm underneath it already. (laughs) So there's there's an entire spectrum, though, right? There's a spectrum of of how much RNG is going to impact the game. Where do you see MCP falling on that? Do you consider RNG a small factor, a large factor? That that's a that's such a loaded question because you're you're using a game with dice. And on top of that, each symbol has its own unique mechanic. So you have the exploding dice, you have wilds, you have skulls, and then you have characters that go, okay, cool, if you roll a skull, you get a bonus, where most people don't. Or if your opponent, yep. like Modoc says, if your opponent rolls wilds, they don't count. So not only are there, is it a D8, so there's two extra sides as opposed to a D6, but then you have characters that interact with the, the variable um, symbol showing differently. So, I mean, if you look yep. at it from a logical, like, outside perspective, you, you could argue that this is a super-duper RNG-heavy game just based on the dice. Uh, the reality is that, like any game, even Malifaux with cards, there is a random uh, variant to the game. But the means in which top-level players kind of avoid being um, dictated the pace of a game through variants is like Todd was saying, using the tools available to you. So for example, if you are a skilled player, you will maneuver yourself around the board, score objectives, and stay out of range of opponent's attacks. If you are newer to the game, you will do all of the things I said, except you will be in range of your opponent's attacks frequently. And then over the course of the game, they're going to attack you more than you're going to attack them. And by the nature of averages, they're going to deal more damage over the course of the game. And you're going to go, man, I just lost to dice. But if you look at the reality of the situation, if you had kept yourself out of range of, you know, instead of five attacks, maybe one attack, 
that completely changes the dynamic of that conversation because now instead of taking you know 20 30 dice to the face you take like six and you're probably fine so yes there's variance yes there are dice but your ability to kind of circumnavigate being attacked or attacking into people has a heavy relationship with a positive conversation at the end of the game or a negative conversation at the end of the game yeah, and there's an aspect, Sugi, that we've been hinting at, and I want to d- dig into it a little bit deeper. Um, and it's a mechanic that I find to be relatively unique. I, I've seen stuff like this before, but nothing nothing executed the way it's done. And that's the power mechanic. And I've already kind of hinted at it a little bit, which is you you have power, and that's what you spend. That's a resource that you spend. So you have your, your models, they gain power, either through abilities that they have, or the most common way you gain power is you get hit. Every time you got to get hit by something, you gain power. Um, and can you talk about how that mechanic impacts the game and what that mechanic can do to help mitigate um, the the randomness and potentially um, increase player agency? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best way to describe this is like if you've ever played a MOBA. So if you play League of Legends, Heroes of the Storm, Dota, those are three very, very popular games that a lot of people have heard of or played. Uh, the term I'm going to use is called cooldown. Power in Marvel Crisis Protocol is essentially a cooldown where you have this ability, you can use it at any given time under the stipulation you have the power to pay for it. And the way the game provides power in terms of offense, defense, and just naturally is a systematic threshold that allows you to use an ability when you want, but not all the time you want. So now you as the player have another level of assessment, another ogre moment where you're opening up the bloom and onion and you're realizing, oh my gosh, I can throw things or I can throw people into things or I can use my super deluxe optic devastation as Cyclops. Love you, Todd. And it's cool. It's thematic. <laughs> it's awesome. But, but yeah. you're being gatekept to maybe two, three times a game. At the most, yeah. at some of those. And yeah. so you have to determine, is now the time I do it? Is the next round the time I do it? Because I think, I, I can't remember who I was talking to. Maybe it was Chris. But you're playing a maximum of six rounds, and your characters have two activations per round. So if you go to the maximum distance, you get 12 actions total. You yep. have to micromanage when, where, how, and why. Because if you just willy-nilly go action throw action attack action you know scratch my my booty you're just wasting all of these opportunities and then you get to round six and you're like oh no i need like a third action to do this thing and i would have won that game ah but (laughs) if you're pacing yourself and once again we're going back to power using your power and your resource management appropriately you can use power to swing tides of the game but if you're just like randomly doing stuff we're going to go back to that same conversation where you go man the dice were bad this game stinks i don't understand what's going on i hit him with that optic blast it didn't kill him and then like six guys jumped me and i died i don't know what's going on well you know maybe if you didn't position your cyclops by himself against the entire enemy team with no defensive abilities he might not have just instantly gotten vaporized minor details so um, power is kind of that fun tool that people are are given where it's like a yes, no question. Do you want to do this now? Yes, no. And you have to figure out when is the yes and when is the no. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Suki. I don't think I spend enough time thinking about the timing of power. I, I spend so much time about the gaining and the use of it and um, that I think I will be a better player if I can think a little bit better about the, the when aspect of it. Now, Chris, one other thing um, that is unique to MCP, and again, I've seen mechanics similar to this, a little bit here, a little bit there. I've never seen it executed the way they do in MCP is the days mechanic, um, which I think is another mitigation um, in there. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that, how the days mechanic works and why it impacts um, the decision-making in the agency? Sure. Um, so each character has, ex with the exception of Hulk, has two sides to their character card. The first side is their healthy side. The back side is their dazed side. So when you go through the health pool on the front side of the character, they become dazed. You can no longer interact with them, and the character, if they haven't taken an activation that turn, is no longer able to. There's a tactics card that will bring somebody back from days, but that's a one, kind of a one-off. Um, so your characters essentially have two health pools. You have your your healthy side is where you know everything's good. You can make decisions on whether or not it's worthwhile to sacrifice a character because they still get to act after they've been dazed, or you can try to play safe, keep on their healthy side, um, which sometimes matters because they may have different stats on either side of the card. Some some characters get stronger, like Thor gets more health when he's on his day's side. It also affects the objectives in the game. Some require you to roll dice to try to get control of the objective, but you're contested only by healthy enemy characters. So if they're on their day's side, they no longer count as healthy. It may make it easier for your opponent to pick up that objective from you. So it's it's very interesting. There, there's a lot of play around that. When is it okay yep. to put a character out there knowing that they're going to get a ton of power from getting attacked and still get to act on their next turn? They're not just dead. Or if you want to take advantage of an ability that changes on a flip side, such as Green Goblin, his his move where he moves and then or uh, makes an attack and then moves, turns into uh, an ability where he throws himself at a character. So there's a, there's a lot of play around the days. Yep. Now, <clears throat> Todd, one of the things that makes uh, mini games unique, so we've been talking about card games, we've been talking about board games, but something that's very unique um, and I think distinctive about mini games is positioning. Uh, it's something that you don't really see in the other games that we were talking about. Can you give me an idea of where you think MCP falls as far as how important positioning is? And is that a factor in what makes it competitive in your mind? I think positioning is more impactful in a game that requires dice to decide who takes damage. Um, Interesting. Then not. Um, when, when, when you know certain factors line up where if this character gets to attack, I'm going to take X damage because um, this guy knows he's going to be able to execute this amount of damage. When dice are involved, there's a ceiling and a floor. Um, and, and you can always plan for the floor and be like, all right, I think I can live through this. Um, but it's when they hit the ceiling um, and they just straight out take you out that yep. that will totally throw a wrench into your plan. Um, so positioning, line of sight, cover, all of these things are things you need to consider when you place someone out. Um, I'd also like to go back to the idea of um, what we were talking about with Chris here. Um, the the idea with the day side as well. Yeah. Um, the day side also adds an interesting element to this game because it makes pawn characters lethal. 
Um, because, <laughs> yeah. Because all of a sudden, a character that you throw out there as a bait now is going to have a chance on the next turn to respond. Um, so because you're never going to alpha strike a character in this game. That's huge in this game. It's a huge. That's a huge, huge aspect. You can't get alpha because of that daze. Yeah, and, and so because of that, your opponent actually has to decide: Is this bait? Um, am I walking into a trap or not? Um, and, and that changes gameplay like immensely. Um, when yep. you're when you're talking about it from a competitive level, like the idea of a healthy and a day side gives you so much more flexibility. Um, I, the game I did last night, I did the exact same thing. Uh, I, I absolutely tried to bait a play with a character, knowing that if it worked out in my favor, either way, if my character lives, I'm good. If my character dazes, I'm better. Um, like those kind of like if you can have those kind of plays built in because of that day side and you're aware of them, that's a huge, huge element of this game that people are going to miss. No, I completely agree. So, guys, I think that um, gives us a good idea of just all of the different types of um, layers there are to MCP. And um, you guys will be shocked to know this. I'm not good at MCP either. So not only do I suck at Malifaux, <laughs> I suck at this game, too. So obviously, I've got a lot of the onion to peel. But um, what I want to do is um, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about two things. One, I want to talk a little bit about um, where we are, um, how organized play um, is happening at MC, with MCP. What's the future of organized play considering what's happening in the world? And I also have a chance to have two people that play MCP that also play Malifaux. So I want to dive into that a little bit. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, Todd, we're in a um, crazy time. Um, uh, you know, uh, great time to open a game shop, by the way. Good timing, man. <laughs> hey, man, I got in. I got in before this. So, no, you did. Okay, good. Yeah, good. I was in before. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we don't have is Tuesday night, Malifaux night. Right. That's uh, and I would build my week around. I was like, you know, the wife said Tuesday nights, uh, daddy's not going to be home on Tuesday nights. Um, and, and we really don't have that anymore. Um, but what's something that's unique that's been happening um, really in Malifaux and in Marvel Crisis Protocol is playing online. So Vassal is the mechanism for playing Malifaux online. And there has been a global surge in people playing and world events happening for Malifaux, but that's happening with T in uh, MCP as well, isn't it? It absolutely is. Um, we've been blessed to have a few guys who picked up MCP and made an amazing mod uh, for TTS. Um, and they have weekly 
almost come out with improvements and ways to make it better and to streamline play and to make setup easier. Um, they have done God's work on this, on this mod. Um, they, they really have. Cause I've played both MCP and star Wars Legion on TTS and the gap is huge. Yeah. I mean, what they have done with MCP makes uh, the, the Legion version look like Mickey mouse. Yeah. I, I mean, like hats off to all of those guys, Carefree Llama, Dizzard, everybody that's running that mod. Um, they have done amazing things. And on top of that, they've been running um, leagues um, ever since, gosh, I want to say February um, of, of this year, somewhere around that ballpark. Um, they've been running leagues. Um, and I think we just finished our third competitive league. Um, and they're getting ready to start a fourth league for the holiday season, which is more for fun. Uh, and then they're going to start in the new year. They'll start another competitive league. That's um, amazing. So like these guys are just doing as much as they can. We've been actually trying to help out and donate some like vibranium kits and and some other things just to help out and give some products out and stuff on the streams. Like it's, but it, it's really good. I've, I've been super impressed. I hate playing on TTS personally. <laughs> <laughs> i i hate playing malifaux and vassal you're not alone <laughs> like like there's a there's a thing for me because like in a previous life i was an optician so geometry was always a part of everything i did every day yep. so not having that like i miss it um like yeah. I, I just miss having that tactile idea of what's where um yep and, and as a gamer like even on tabletop there's a level of bluffing um, and, and sometimes you don't like to show your moves before you have to. And I feel like on TTS and Vassal as well, you kind of have to show those moves ahead of time. Yeah, no question. So I'd be curious, uh, Todd, and obviously nobody knows the future, but um, let's pretend that the vaccine uh, that Pfizer's got is real and it works. And by midsummer, uh, COVID is not a thing anymore. Um, and that is me not making a prediction. I'm just <laughs> putting out the premise. Um, Craig, are you breaking news you... here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody comes here, right, to find out. Um, oh, by the way, Biden won. Um, <laughs> um, so midsummer, let's pretend that that the shops reopen and everything. What is your expectations as a player and as a shop owner, Todd? Do you think it is just going to be uh, a uh, breaking of the dam and we're going to go come back and be stronger than ever? Or do you think there's going to be a, a hangover um, that impacts tabletop gaming? I, I think anybody who's able to still be in business at this point, if they expect everything just to go back to business as normal, uh, is insane. Yeah. Uh, like, just like just throwing it out there, like, it's not meant to be shade towards anyone or anything. It's just, I don't think anything goes back to normal immediately. Right. Um. And so as a business and as a shop and as like a community, like you have to have a plan in place. Um, so I, I think if you're planning on everything going back just to normal, that's, that's the wrong plan. Um, I, I think we'll get there. Um, it's just going to take more time, I think, than summer. Um, fingers crossed for Nova. Oh God, I missed it this year. And it, I didn't realize Talk about taking stuff for granted. Yeah, you know, yeah, like absolutely. like I I was a little little surprised at how um how much the canceling of Nova impacted me. Yeah, like I like I, like 
it, it, I mean, we are, so one of the things that I run uh, through third floor wars is I run the national rankings for Malifaux. Um, it's called the USFO tour and Nova has always been the first tournament of each season. And, you know, it just, I don't know, man, it, it like, it broke my heart a little bit yeah. to, to not get there. And, you know, knowing that you guys are up there and that, um, you know, that I may not be able to see you yeah. <laughs> and hang out and have beers with you really kind of freaking bums me out. But I want to go back to something that you talked about, Todd, like, so I, I have a game shop. All right. And I come to Todd and I say, Hey man, um, what can I do to survive this? I mean, in your mind, if, if you don't think things are going to snap back, um, what do you think are some things that, that shop owners should need to be thinking about to, to survive? Um, so the big thing that I did, um, which sucks, um, and for any game shop is having to move stuff online. Yeah. Um, you, it, it, it's almost a necessary evil. Um, I, I pride myself and I pride my shop on kind of being like, you're, you're of my age bracket. So you'll get my reference. Um, I pride myself on being like the cheers of game shop. Yep. Um, I know everybody's name that walks through this door. Uh, if I don't, I'm going to introduce myself to you when you come in and like, you're going to be brought in as part of the family. Um, it's that, that shit matters too. It does. And, and, and it's a community. Um, and, and that's what I want it to be. And, and I want everybody to feel safe and secure. Um, that said, we still run events here. Um, we just run them on a much smaller scale. Right. Um, so like we, we can't, we can't run 24, 30 person tournaments anymore. Right. Like it's just, it's, it's not responsible. Um, yep. so we, ha we have to cap them at eight. Um, but we, we try and rotate them, set signups, give people the chances that don't get to come every week. We try and make sure those people are accommodated. Um, if we're short a person, like I'm always here to fill in and make sure that this thing fires off. Um, that's cool. So like, those are the things that I do as a shop owner to make sure that my guys get to do the things they want to do when they can. Um, and, and like, I'll just continue to do that. Um, I, I don't know any other way to be, man. Well, no, I think that's smart. Todd. And I'll tell you, um, so the local shop here, um, as game theory, um, and I've been uh, there, uh, the, the people that work there and the owner are just, just good people. And, um, I, you know, uh, March, I was like, okay, you know, everything shut down and they kind of, you know, opened up. So for walk-ins only and moved their stuff online, um, I had a chance to talk to them not too long ago. I was talking, talking to them and, you know, I asked them, I said, how are you guys doing? And, um, they said the community has been amazing. And they said, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we've slowed down a little bit, but like the community stepped up and they did a little call to action just saying, Hey guys, you know, if you could get your stuff here, we'll make it easy for you. And we would appreciate it. And, um, what they're doing is is they're they're cashing in checks todd that they wrote a long time ago by creating yeah. a friendly game store that people love and and want and care about and it sounds like that's what you're doing and that's smart todd so uh hats off to you so gabby yeah, curious to know your kind of your thoughts on this so what do you think the long-term effects will be on tabletop gaming uh for what we've been putting through for you know it's going to be at least a year um it it's really dependent on the company and the community so Magic the Gathering is probably a really excellent example. They pivoted really heavy into digital assets. So Arena is firing on all cylinders. 
And then if you look at Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, they did the literal exact same thing, either in line with Magic or right behind it. So if you're looking yeah. at like a industry leader, so for example, trading card games, they can kind of help showcase what's going to happen. Uh, tabletop and board games are a little bit different because it's not like there is a specific leader in the board game or tabletop industry per se. Um, I mean... Well, in tabletop, there's, there's Games Workshop, but I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I was going to say games, games Workshop, but the problem for that is like Europe is open and America is not. Yeah. So the weird thing yeah. is all my European friends are like, hey, mate, we're playing over here in our GW stores. I'm like, that's cool. We're still locked down, man. I, I haven't been able to play a game <laughs> since March because we are locked yeah. and loaded. And so I, I did think about GW. I was like, the problem is in America, GW is also locked down. Even their, even the Citadel sure. in Dallas is, um, I think they went down from like 20 tables to three. So wow. you can play, but you can only have six people there. And they literally have zones where it's like you can sit you can play or you can watch. So it's not like the old camaraderie where, you know, you can like walk over and look at something and, you know, try and eyeball. Do I have line of sight? Like you just kind of have to sit on the other side of the table and go, okay. Which to me is a pretty distant experience, even though we're at the same table in the same room where we're still, still isolated. Same. Even, even I can look you in the eye, but I'm still kind of like, Oh, Hey, over there, what's going on. So that for me personally, that's not like a full experience. It's like, well, I'm having like a half experience, I guess. Um, so what really can happen is kind of what Todd's doing and what a lot of small shops are doing is they're, they're integrating personal relationships over sales. That's probably the wisest thing you can do because at the end of the day, if you know someone's name over their checkbook account, you're probably going to be in a much better place. And honestly, you're probably gonna have a much better store because it's a relational location as yep. opposed to. Well, I know this guy's going to buy like six boxes of magic and every single Games Workshop product that comes out. So I'm just going to push on moving moving product, which is it'll it'll burn out eventually at some point. You do, you do, you you, you get you get to the bottom of that barrel at some point, no question. So Chris, we've spent this whole show talking about your wife, Marvel Crisis Protocol. <laughs> oh no! But you've got a girlfriend. And her name is Malifaux. So what I would like to know <laughs> is what made you look at Malifaux and what are you finding there now that you're there? That she, is a perfect analogy. She's real pretty too <laughs> because she's complicated and a little crazy. She intimidates me, <laughs> but she's gorgeous. <laughs> Those models are like the best looking models I've ever seen. Yeah, like, they, they're great. That they really seriously are. Is, is what caught my eye. Yeah, the aesthetics right? are something else, aren't they? Oh, yeah, man. We were going through just just the three of us. Me, Rick, and Todd were just going through looking. Oh, man, this game looks cool. Let's check these out. Oh, man, that one looks good. That one looks good. So we all kind of picked the faction, bought a starter box. Um, and now Todd and I have bought... Uh, <laughs> Craig, Craig, let me, let, me set, let me set this for you real quick. Just to piggyback off Chris here. <laughs> so Rick, myself, and Chris went and we saw this at another shop. And I'll, I'll frequent any shop. If you got something going on, I'm I'm happy to come play. That's good. Because Total Access Games has got to show up. Uh -huh. right, we got to represent. 
So anyway, we go to a Marvel Crisis protocol tournament up in Nova. We see these Malifaux figures, and I'm like, these figures are really nice. I really like this Asian aesthetic of these Ten Thunders. I love Japanese demons. Asami <laughs> is speaking to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll just buy this core set and this <laughs> one other box of figures. Yeah. And we'll just see how this plays. And now I own the entire Ten Thunders army. Yeah. Very I'm nice. About <laughs> three quarters of the way through the Arcanist, uh, starting oh, with Terrace. Yeah. Um, and, and and then I, I realized Yan Lo was also a uh, resurrectionist. Mm-hmm. And now I own the entire resurrectionist. Yeah. And I found Hoffman. So now I'm starting to get into Guild. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So I'd be curious, um, Chris, for you, um, what does Malifaux bring that you're not finding elsewhere? So the models were great. We got into it that way. Then we started digging into the rule book, and it's deep. It's like an encyclopedia versus, uh, I don't want to, uh, Cliff Notes, basically, yeah. right? So it's your your AP literature versus getting the Cliff Notes. Um, <laughs> and it, it it scratched an itch, right? It, it's all the stuff that Marvel is, but it goes a little bit further and everything. It's it's definitely more complex. It's deeper. It's it's a it's a almost a different game. Like like I put it on the table the first time. And started playing around with uh, fire pillars and flame <laughs> markers and all that stuff. And then I was like, but I'm not doing anything. I'm just trying to to kill guys. And I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I need scheme runners so I could score some points. Points are good. <laughs> so it, it just keeps building on itself in terms of like the complexity and the difficulty yeah. and the amount I need to plan for it. And um it just, it just keeps building on itself i keep finding more things that are exciting about it so yeah. it's it's definitely a deeper game and and very fun i, I, I like it a lot so sugi for you as a card guy um what did you think of the card mechanic it was an interesting take um so the big reason i like miniature games is the tactile feel so removing dice mm-hmm. for me was a big no-no. I, I like the idea. I like the concept. I think it's well implemented. But there is something really fun about telling a story when you roll 300 dice with 50 orcs. And, uh, you know, 250 yeah. of those are ones. And you're just looking at that going, wait, no, 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 no. You, you have that Cleveland moment. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and so, like, with the cards, it's like, this is great. I like this game. This is fun. But I'm never going to have that story where it's like I threw 300 dice into a demon prince and by golly, Bob, howdy, I killed it or I did not kill it and it stepped on me. So uh, that's that's more a me thing than a game thing. Yep. I will absolutely admit that, though. Yeah. Um, I thought the cards were a gimmick when I first came across the game um, and it turned out to be, you know, an aspect of the game that I that I just I thoroughly fell in love with. Um, but uh, it I have. I used to think it was the be all end all to be honest with you, Sugi, because I thought it did a great job with the control hand and with the, you know, with the um, um, uh, RNG with the memory, right? Cause you're using a deck, you're not using dice. Um, I thought it was the be all end yeah. all, but part of the thing I've been doing on the podcast was talking to a lot of designers as part of my insider insight series. And I'm, they have really kind of made me realize that to your point, having those moments, having those surges, having those, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 uh, Imperial Guard yep. takes his Lasgun and takes out the Tyranid monster. 
that's what we love right and yeah. um as much as we talk about mitigating and you know yep. lowering your rng and stuff like that yeah well let's go play chess then <laughs> that's really what matters to us right 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 yeah the best stories i'll ever tell are some of the worst things that happen like um for those of you who play warhammer there's a warp boy with orcs and you have an ability to roll 2d6 and do really crazy things but if you roll two ones or two sixes it's not good and i was playing in a tournament where i i had the game in control and then my opponent did something crazy and got nuts dice and i'm sitting there going okay i can win the game with my warp boy and these 30 orcs as long as i do not roll two ones because he can throw just enough damage to wipe out this squad and i'm golden <laughs> and i roll and i have rerolls mind you i can reroll this so so i roll two dice snake eyes okay 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 it's cool no big deal i got a reroll i can roll both of these it won't happen again everyone's like all right sugi's <laughs> going to you know round five here we go roll them again snake eyes everyone like literally is like what what just happened and i'm like oh <laughs> well i lose because my warp boy like thematically my warp boy decides to warp himself and everything within six inches into the war and you're talking and about it now which everybody. i think is the big deal and right so my like, entire... to this day you still remember that yeah that was still a moment and i, and I think <laughs> yeah. that that's a big deal um so todd something that i i don't think i've said on the podcast yet um but i've said it you know to friends and stuff because a lot of my friends play both games they play malifaux and they play mcp and i'm going to say this as as a compliment to to all parties involved um i think the guys intentionally or unintentionally uh, at amg took some elements of Malifaux in their design. Um, I think that there's aspects of Malifaux that I see in MCP. And in some ways, MCP is kind of like Malifaux light. Now, um, that's not a bad thing, right? That's part of what I love about MCP is MCP allows me to uh, not burn my brain. Like when I play Malifaux, my brain gets fried because there's to what we, what we talked about, right? There's so many layers, so many things going on. MCP doesn't fry my brain the same way. But they were smart and took like different aspects of of that in there as somebody who's going the other direction. So I went from Malifaux to MCP. You played MCP first, it sounds like, and then discovered Malifaux. Are you seeing a crossover? Absolutely. Um, like the idea of the character cards um, and the superpowers and then the separate attacks and then the movement bases and like the they're, triggers there. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, definitely ties to it. Um, and, and to your point, I, I can play 85 games of MCP um, and be like, all right, yeah, who wants to play again? Like, yep. anybody else need one? I can play a game of Malifaux and be like, <laughs> all right, look, come see me next week. Exactly. I need a minute. Yeah. I got I, I got to absorb everything I just did because – I, I'm one of those people that like when I play like even when I do a TTS stream, I did a TTS stream last night for MCP. I played that game, I went home, and then I watched the game again <laughs> to see to see where like I'm like, all right, what did I miss? Yeah. Like where where were what what things did I miss? Because like I'm always trying to improve. And like with Malifaux, there's so many decision points and so many crucial points where you're like, did I overstep here? What about this? Oh, did I miss this trigger? What about this? Yep. Like there's there's just so many of those points with Malifaux. But that's part of the reason why I love that game so right. much. Um, like it's 
opposite ends of the same spectrum. Um, I, I, it, it's a great it's way probably, to put it, Todd. Yeah, I mean that that that's the way I see it. Um, and, and I feel like it's like as you found, um, you you found that this was a good game on a casual I side with MCP to counteract your Malifaux. Um, I, that's kind of where I ended up as well. Yep. Um, however, I'm trying to push the boundaries of the competitive on MCP because with MCP, the idea of the card hands and the consistent releases monthly that changes the flow of the game so often keeps me super interested and wanting to be on the cusp and wanting to be on the edge of that. So, Todd, you've mentioned that a couple times now. And what's interesting to me about that is what I'm used to hearing people talk about is bloat, right? That there's model bloat, there's card bloat, and, you know, they're releasing new shit every week and I can't stay on top of it. It sounds to me like that's a selling point to you. That is 100% a selling point to me. <laughs> like, like I come from a competitive card game environment, right? Like, so when the new set came out, like th the thing that is keeping MCP from being competitive is the fact that COVID is a thing and we have no events. Right. Um, so like all of a sudden, if you bring Gen Con, Origins, Nova, all of these events back into the mix and you have events there, all of a sudden, like, those plays become much bigger. Who came up with the list that won that? Like, and how did they get there? And 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 what did they bring out that was new and broken? Like, that's the things that you see in all those those card games. Yep. It is and that's what MCP can offer, but it's missing it because it doesn't have those environments to thrive right now. Well, can yeah. I jump off you for one second? What's that? Well, I was going to say, can I jump off you for one yeah. second? Because it's a selling point for me too, and we've <laughs> talked about this a couple times on our podcast. There was only one period in this game's history thus far, and that was when they stopped releases over the summer, where there was a meta that appeared to have been solved, right. quote unquote. Because the releases are so consistent with this game, people are still going back to old rosters and figuring out how to more efficiently play them. So the meta is never solved. You never like with a card game sit there and look at three rosters and that's it because you know that's the rock paper scissors that's what's going to get it done this game is constantly evolving because there's always new stuff to absorb yeah and and that's the other part of the awesome community that we have here like these guys want to come in weekly and think tank <laughs> yeah and want to try new things and be like hey man i saw this cool interaction with this character in this card let's play it out and see how this works like those are the things that keep me super involved in games and keep the guys that I have in this community involved. Um, and, and that's where we want to be. Like we we've when we played Destiny and the other games that we've played, like we've always wanted to try and find those edges and those things that people were missing. And and with this kind of release schedule and with the way these things go, this game really can offer that if we can get back to a healthy environment where this game can thrive. I also wanted to piggyback off that real quick. Um, the finals that we just had this week or last week, one of the quote unquote air quotes, most oppressive, most powerful characters in the game is considered to be Modoc. He was not in the finals. In fact, the finalist Morgan Reed was playing black order, which has been long considered to be a very muted, less interesting affiliation. And not only did he prove anyone who said that to be wrong, but a lot of people now are like, wait, I want to do that. And we've already started seeing people start to gravitate towards Black Order because they'd never seen it played, A, at a high level, 
and be at a point where it could actually beat a competitive player or competitive list. Well, he played it differently than everybody else did, it sounds like. Yeah. He did. He piloted with extreme amounts of skill. But what's what's interesting and what Todd and Chris are talking about is this evergreen game state is the big thing that pulls people in because as as X-Men and Brother come in, there's a lot of characters that are coming in those sets that empower older affiliations. Yep. There's a lot of affiliations that are going to be able to combine tactic cards or crisis cards coming. Exactly. That's and the they big may, point. Yeah, they may never play with an X-Men or Brother character, but they look at those cards coming out going, oh, wait, this is going to make my list way better. So it's this this constant shift of the new stuff creates a new meta, not only due to the new shiny stuff, but because it keeps opening up new doors and new branches of, oh, this and that work really well together. Let's try it. Are you predicting that at some point that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy will be competitive? Please don't Gar- do this to me. Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> are, my are friend. competitive, my friend. Yeah, I was going to say, we've, we've already proven that with Sooner and Coffee Time. Oh, my God. They hurt my head so much. It's <laughs> so funny. Well, Todd doesn't play Swarm. That's why. I'm trying to remember which. I think it was Jamie Perkins when I had Jamie on the show. And, well, actually, I'm going to back up real quick. So you talk about solving the game. That's what killed Gilball, in my opinion, oh, is yeah. that is that the game got solved. Um and it was uh, they were a um they couldn't they couldn't do what we're talking about that that AMG is doing which is they couldn't breathe enough life in they couldn't put stuff out fast enough to keep it alive and keep it you know unsolved and eventually that's what happened and speaking of Guild Ball I think it was Perkins that said this to me and and I, and, I, and it's, every once in a while somebody will tell you something and you're like I've always known that but now you said it out loud and this is what he said he goes you know. A successful game, a game that's going to have legs, um, is going to be, you're going to spend 10% playing it and 90% of your time thinking about it. And in my opinion, that's the secret to Magic the Gathering. That's why Magic the Gathering is uh, old as I am and more successful now than ever was before. Because if you're a Magic player, you spend 10% of your time playing Magic and 90% thinking about it. And to your point, Todd, I think that's what we're seeing with MCP. So guys, I think that, um, I mean, I was a little bit of a shill here because I love the game. Um, uh, I love the game and I was really excited to have you guys on to really kind of talk about this concept uh, relative to, uh, to MCP. And I think that if I had all the time in the world, I could find myself focusing on the competitive side of MCP as much as I do with Malifaux because I do agree. I think it's there. Um, and uh, hats off to those guys. They have created an, a very elegant game. Um, I love the fact, and we've kind of talked about it, that it's got its own lane and Malifaux in its own lane. So I think you can play both and they'll scratch different itches, which I think is wonderful. Um, so normally at the end of the show, what I do is I ask if there's any plugs. I have a sneaking suspicion you guys have plugs. So, Sugi, why don't you uh, talk about uh, <laughs> even, why they need to, they need to stop listening to Tabletop Talk and they start need, start need to listen to you. Well, you should keep on listening to Table Talk and then you should listen to us and enjoy both at the same time. One in the left ear, one in the right ear. <laughs> You'll you'll just absorb so much more information that way. So uh, our show is called Turn Zero Gaming, and that's a zero at the end of the word zero. So, you know, layers on layers. But um, basically, the whole concept of the show is we are here to have fun. We're going to have an entertaining discussion, and you just happen to be along the ride with us with Todd doing crazy things, Chris talking about all the strategy and pre-planning he has, and I am going to be that one janky guy who just 
<laughs> just I'm gonna be that weird uncle in the corner who's so just enough to say to make you go, wait, what? You know, so it's it's a lot of fun. You guys have a really good show. Um, you guys have the depth of knowledge and experience, which we've already talked about. Your uh, geek cred is legit. Um, uh, there's enough overlap, um, but enough um, uniqueness about each of the people that um, on that. During one of the breaks, I mentioned to these guys that normally I don't enjoy podcasts that have this many hosts. Um, because usually, um, or not usually, a lot of times it can just become, you know, just noise. Um, with, with, with you guys, because, because you all have your own voices that that's not the case. So, um, I'm a big fan and was super excited that you guys came on. All right. So last bit, I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask Todd first, Todd, what's the best game? Nobody's playing flesh and blood. That's what I thought it was. That's what I thought it was. And uh, you, can, you can look forward to having my credit card in about a month. I'll be calling you. Excellent. How about you, Chris? Best game nobody's playing. Ah, uh, he got me into flesh and blood. He did it the same way he did destiny. <laughs> I came I came into tag to play Keyforge Sealed. And then he goes, but we really play Destiny around here, so you want to come check it out on Friday? And then he gave me an illegal deck, made me think <laughs> I was really good. <laughs> And then sucked me in, and now I'm here. And then you top eight at nationals. That's true. So oh, yeah. nice, man. That's legit. That's Good true. for you. <laughs> How about you, Sugi? What's the best game no one's playing? Flames of War, World War II reenactments. Such a good game. I've heard Flames of War is good. What do you like about Flames of War? So I'm actually an ex-history major before I went into television as a career. So it's really fun to reenact all the battles I studied and uh, got tested on. Like. I like painting a lot. I'm also heavy, heavy into competitive painting. So uh, having like these Panzer tanks and these American, t- like there's, there's, um, what is it? It's France, Russia, Germany, America, Japan. Like it's such a diverse historical game. Yeah. So it's it's re- also the, the battlefield. So like it's, it's nothing like you've ever seen because it's, it's it's real like everything else yeah. so if you play like warhammer infinity or malifaux it's all it's all fake it's never happened you're imagining yeah. what could happen but when you play these world war ii enactments both actions a good game too um it's the real d-day it's the real x y or z and you get to experience that moment and sometimes i've had this happen uh i'll meet people who were in the war and they were like well my grandfather told me a story about what's what we're playing right now. i'm like oh my gosh tell me that's cool so it's it's like a historical thing it's a community thing it's a fun thing um it, it just clicks a lot of checks for me personally i've heard good stuff about that and bolt action um yeah. the activation system in bolt action is something that I, that has always piqued my interest it's a um, great game and, and how that works yeah i've heard that as well well gentlemen um i really appreciate you coming on um i will continue listening i'll probably figure out another excuse to have you guys on again um So uh, uh, we had a good time. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening.
Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Two people that play MCP that also play Malifaux, so I want to dive into that a little bit. We'll be right back. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to run real quick. Yeah, man, take your time. Appreciate you guys sticking around. It's longer than I thought it was going to be, but that's all right because it's good shit. Hey, all our shows go always long. We're long. used to it. Yeah, we're, we're always prepared <laughs> for a long one. Yeah, we're always set aside an hour, and then uh, if we get through it in an hour and a half or two, we feel mm-hmm. good. Well, I've already I've already blown a bunch of, a bunch of smoke up your asses, but you guys do you guys got a good show, man. You guys have Thank good you. chemistry. You are you have enough overlap that you're not up. Like it's not all conflict, but you also have your own angles, right? You have your own experience. It's a good show. It's a good show. Usually, I don't like shows with that many uh, hosts, um, but you guys do a good job. Thank you. We we like to uh, play Demon's Advocate just enough to spice things up because if if everyone agrees, it's not entertaining. Got to have some argument. You just argue with Todd. Todd is usually the violator. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) pretty much. No, he's a he's a good he's a good element to the show. He's a good element to the show. do you guys ever listen to a uh, Rage Quit Wire? You ever hear of that yeah. one? Uh, they're, they're good. Um, they uh, really made their name in the Guild Ball, um, but they're now, yeah, no shit. That's a good. Good game though. Um, but then they moved into. Uh, they're doing a lot more Malifaux stuff now, and uh, uh, the guy Chris, this Chris and Pete, and Chris is the uh, the Todd in that duo. <laughs> no, believe it or not, he's he's <laughs> Todd's a far more like in control than chris chris can really explode which is part of what makes the show great is watching pete like put the tinder in like in the first segment and then he puts the mat lights the match in the second yep. segment and then chris blows up by segment three it's great so you're saying i need to get chris more on point <laughs> no it's funny you guys when you think about it um uh, pete and chris are good guys uh, and they put out a good show and they've kind of i would say in the last year kind of found their show find their stride and kind of found their voice so nice. it's good all right um so todd i'm going to start with you because i kind of want to talk about covid and stuff like that and um you i think would be good to tee off and talk about tts and then i'll probably Suki, go to you to talk more about tts all right and then um uh then i unfortunately for you Suki, are probably going to focus more on todd and chris to talk malifo that's that's fine <laughs> you're right yeah i, I, I mean, mean i played it it's I'm just a matter of time hard. right Oh, oh, you yeah, have? Yeah, okay. Well, that's great. I didn't realize that. Okay, but then all, all of us can talk about it. Good. All right. So, Chris, you just hanging out at the shop? Oh, Chris. Yeah, hanging out here with Todd. Sorry, I swallowed wrong. <coughs> that's all right, man. <laughs> yeah, Todd, Todd and I tend to pair up and do these up over at the shop. Because gotcha. he lives kind of out in the sticks with no internet, so he ends up here anyway. So, oh, Jesus, God bless him. Okay, <laughs> we may as well partner up since we're both here. <laughs> yeah, he spends a lot of time at the shop because it has indoor plumbing. That's good. 
Well, and he also has to come play all of his TTS games here because he doesn't have internet at home. Oh, jeez, so, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, 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 he ends up here basically every day of the week. <laughs> God bless him. <sighs> Glad that didn't happen. And do you work at the shop or you just hang there? Nope, just hang out. Cool. Yeah. I'm an accountant working from home right now, so this is my go escape time. Very nice. I was just telling uh, Craig that you basically live here because you don't have internet, so you gotta record <laughs> and play here. Oh yeah, yeah. I, he says apparently you don't you don't you don't have indoor plumbing where you live, so you have to come to the shop. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I drink here. I play here. <laughs> Take my showers. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying you need to get some lockers and a shower. Hell yeah, get you a lot to leave. Let's do it, man. I can throw the hammock up in the back. There you go. <laughs> I would be interested, Todd. Is um, how does like you know work work life balance work? Um, having a shop like that and it not being, you know, <laughs> Wait, work life balance. <laughs> yeah, this is this is also a side gig. I know that's what I'm saying. You've got a third thing going, not just life, yeah, and, <laughs> not just wife, kids, and uh, um, and gaming. So you've got is that a full time job? Your second gig? Um, so I've got it. I got a guy that plays at the shop that I've actually hired on as a part-time fill-in for me as well on my oh. other job. Um, oh. So it's pretty cool. I pay him and then he pays me back. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> nice racket. <laughs> <laughs> so you pay him store credit. Here you go, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, like, um, cause I do, I have a property preservation business as well. I don't, I don't know if I know what that means. Um, so, you know, when the bank forecloses on properties and, Yep, and then they have to flip them to sell them in, on the real estate market. I, I'm yep. the guy that goes in and does all of the bids and all the work. Got it. So got it. You you make it flippable. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. So <clears throat> that keeps me run. So right, I actually quit doing that and focused on the store um, in December of last year. But then when COVID happened, like that's all out the window. Yeah. So yep. we're actually, I actually have the uh, the shop closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays now. Yeah. And I run that business out on the road doing jobs. And then the other days of the week, my other guy goes out and does work for me. <clears throat> oh, God bless you, man. So that's hardcore. Just keep going, man. All right. Yeah. You've got to do a hustle. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, I'm trying to think of what angle I want to start with here. Um, I might start with a now. I don't think I'm going to get into affiliations. Um, I, I, I'm going to start with dice, um, and I'll start with you, Chris. Okay. okay. Poor Chris and his. So dice. Chris, um, <laughs> so and I'm the worst roller out of all of us. So what we're seeing with MCP? Todd ran to the restroom. Oh, God damn it, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you get to be his age. Right, when he gets back, I'll wrap up the show. <laughs> oh, That's funny. I was trying to see if I could jump in, but I don't know magic at all. <laughs> You're missing out, Dude, you want, It's a good game. You know how old I am, Chris? I was a beta tester for Magic the Gathering. Ooh. That's how old I am. That feels bad. That's old. I'm jealous. That's really old. But I sold my full set of betas. Yeah, see, it would have been 94. I sold them for six grand and 94. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of money. You had the power nine and everything, huh? Yeah, they had the whole thing. I had all the boxes and everything. Oh, 
I'll, Are you I'm returned? Gonna get, I'm going to give it a I've seven. returned. Sorry. I had a great point, and I tossed it to you, Todd. You weren't there. God damn it. God damn it. What happened? <laughs> <You got> to... <laughs> All right. I'm going to go ahead and close. I'm going to go ahead and close. Very nice. How old are you, Todd? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> you, you didn't ask anybody else that. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I, I'm trying to figure out if I'm older than you. I think I'm, I uh, I'm 46. Yeah, I got you by two years. No okay. way. You look like death, man. Nice. Who, me? No. Yeah, no, no. My, <laughs> uh, me. my microphone? Why not? No. Yeah, Todd, you. <laughs> I've you been road like, hard, man. You look like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Santa Claus's brother. Right on. I'm his skinny brother. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right, I'll bring us back. That was really good, gentlemen. I missed the game entirely. What? I completely when when you asked me about competitive games, I completely yeah. spaced on that Star Wars game I used to play. Oh, well, let's, let me bring it up. Yeah, that, that game is by far hands down the best. All right, hold on, hold game. on. I, I, I want this in the show. Hold on one second. I'll tee. I'll tee it up, Todd. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Todd, you. you oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So Todd, you mentioned uh, Star Wars, um, but he's brought that same competitive mentality to miniature gaming. So Chris, welcome to the third floor. Hey, thank you for having us. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm nope, sorry. it's you, bud. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I don't know. We're going to have to redo that because I lost my train of thought all of a sudden. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Should try podcasting. <laughs> we would just keep that in and make people listen to it. Oh, it'll be in the blooper section at the end. Don't worry. I, was, yeah. I, I told him. I, I told him. I'm like, you know what? We're going to end up there. <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll welcome you back. All right, Chris. Thank you, sir. Right. So, Chris, welcome to the third floor. Flesh and blood. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to check that out. You sold it. Someone owes you a commission. That's good. Right on. All right. All right. Cool. I appreciate that, Todd. Yeah, man. I right. Like, that game still played 20 years since it was uh, closed, that Star Wars game. Yeah, there's still no world yeah, There's still world tournaments for it. It's small. Yeah. There's, like, what, 50 to 100 people? No, it was um, it was a 150-person tournament last 2019. The guy in Northern Virginia won it. I consider myself pretty well versed, and I have never heard of either that game or the new one, so I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, the cipher game is still really expensive for some odd reason. Uh, Star Wars. Oh, I won't get into it. Well, no, I wouldn't so get into that either. That's a nightmare. Flesh and Blood is a card game, huh? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Putting it up in my browser so I don't forget. All right. Um, I was gonna say there's been a bunch uh, of games that stole from that, like uh, Digimon, Mega Man. Who puts out Flesh and Blood? The art looks good. Um, uh, Legend Story Studios out of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, and so, like, if I wanted to pick it up for the guys at the campsite, what, what, what would I need to buy? Um, you need to wait a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. They're just they're right now. They're just going through their first reprint. Like, so they're going with a national release now. Got it. Um, so the unlimited versions are just hitting U.S. markets. Um, and they're yet to re-release the starter decks. Okay. And the, what I might do then, Todd, is maybe bug you in a month or two and find out when the timing's right. All right. Well, like right now, Southern is waiting on their shipment. It's in customs. Mm-hmm. And as, okay. as soon as it comes in, like, I'll have it here. 
Well, if you want, if you think of it, ping me. Um, and can I just order through the website or call you? Yeah, just call me, man. I'll send it all to right, you. All right, we'll do that. We'll do that. All right, cool. All right, let's talk MCP now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, you're right, you're going to turn this into a flesh and blood show. I'm going to do it, man. <laughs> no, don't do that. I do. I mean, your enthusiasm uh, excites me about it. It's uh, very interesting. All right. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.